Hello and welcome to the Possibility Podcast. I am your host, Sarah Knight. In my efforts to stay connected and contributing to the natural spaces in and around the area that I live in, in Kingston, Ontario, I had the opportunity to sign up as a voluntary board member for the Land Conservancy for Kingston, Frontenac, Lennox and Addington. I sit on their Land Acquisitions Committee. And this organization is really proactively aligned with something that's really important to me. The Land Conservancy is a land trust protecting land in this area, in eastern Ontario. And their goal is to set aside land for nature, for nature's sake. And in this interview, I speak with Vicky Schmolka, the president of the Land Conservancy, about what land trusts do, why they're important, and how we can all play a role. Hello and welcome. Nature needs allies. That is the topic for today as I chat with Vicky Schmolka. Vicky has a long history in trying to bridge the gaps between conservation, policy, and action here where I live in Kingston, Ontario. Originally trained as a lawyer, she also has a diploma in mediation and conflict resolution and a certificate in teaching adults. She now works as a legal writer here in Kingston. But today I'm talking to Vicky because of the hat she wears as president of the Land Conservancy for Kingston, Frontenac, Lennox, and Addington and her expertise in the matters relating to land conservation, as well as her deep understanding of the importance of conserving nature. So thank you so much for joining me, Vicky. So Vicky, maybe we could start off, can you just tell me a little bit about why does the land need protection? I guess some of us may naively think, well, with all of the existing legislation, shouldn't that be enough to ensure that these natural spaces and species of concern are protected? So why, uh, in your opinion, does the land need protection? I think there are protections for species at risk, for instance, that would require a developer of a property to identify where they are and either protect the habitat or set aside compensatory habitat somewhere that's not stopping that development from happening. And driving around and hiking in our neighborhood, meaning sort of not the urban neighborhood, but our, our regional natural area, you'll see more and more development. So people are building uh, new roads, new cottages, uh, new permanent homes in areas that in the past have just been wildlands that have just been, they've been that way um, for a long, long time, maybe around here, they've been logged, but they haven't, uh, after colonial settlement, they have not been that disturbed except for the last few years where we see enormous pressures on the land and more and more human interference in the land in terms of permanent settlement. And if that keeps going, our while our, our nature forests are places of uh, where nature really can happen on her own without a lot of people tromping through building are going to disappear. Uh, as we see in the Golden Horseshoe around Toronto, um, I mean, the green belt is now at risk. And so there are fewer and fewer places for plants and animals in, in that whole greater Toronto area. 
and Kingston is slowly seeing that kind of pressure. So the goal is to set aside land that is purely for nature so that there is habitat for plants and animals. Beautiful. And so it sounds like the goal is to set it aside before it's trampled all over. So we're talking about preserving wild spaces rather than regenerating them? Yes, I would say our land conservancy goal is to conserve spaces that are still uh, in their natural state as as in we're not reclaiming a road, we're preserving a forest. Good. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's interesting when we moved to Kingston, um, we moved from the west of Ireland where we lived right on the Atlantic shoreline, 15 minute drive in most directions and you'd be out in some kind of wilderness although of course when um ireland was effectively colonized you know the trees were mostly cut down a long 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 time ago and so some of ireland's a lot of ireland's wilderness now is what used to be ancient forests um now bog um however (laughs) it's still the modern version of their wilderness Um, And so when we decided to move back to Canada, didn't know exactly where we wanted to go and looked at Kingston and thought, yeah, that's the spot. Look at all the access to wilderness. We are so close to the beauty of the Canadian Shield. But from your experience with the Land Conservancy, what about this area makes it unique? I think we have to look at water as being so important for human survival, for animals and plants. So... We're very lucky in this part of the world, really. I think the Great Lakes represent uh, 25% of fresh water in the world. And this area is rich in rivers, streams, creeks, lakes, ponds, fens, bogs, wetlands that contribute so much environmentally. So we we have water as as sort of the fundamental I don't want to call it a resource, but our fundamental element that we need to make sure is always as clean as as possible. And we know we are failing that as humans. Uh, In that regard, we're not keeping our water as clean as we should. And then um, we are uniquely positioned here between the limestone plain near, near the lakes and the granite of the Canadian Shield. So there's actually very rich ecosystems here. Uh, And some people define that area between the shield and the limestone limestone plain as being the land between. And what that means is really it's the land that meshes both those things. Although if you look on a map, a geological map, there is a very distinct line between where the shield is and where the plain is. You can separate it out by rock formation. we own a property, the Depot Creek Nature Reserve, where we've observed over 830 species of plants and animals. So that's extraordinary riches. And it's 72 acres. It's, it's you know, 29 hectares or whatever. It's not a huge property. It is a property we bought because it has meadowland, woodland, wetland. And so it has the three major habitats of the world in one way or another in one place. And we see that in the species found there. Um, So it's not that, from a sort of from a, you were asking what kind of land we want to protect. Uh, Land in the limestone plain is quite settled because it's been farmland for a long time. 
um, it was a rich resource for indigenous peoples with fish and um, it, it was possible to grow in the plain better than the granite shield. So the granite shield is, uh, it's a kind of rockier territory. We could say we want to protect it all and do as much as we can to protect around the waterways in all this region. We as a land trust are looking particularly at the area between Frontenac Park and Puzzle Lake Park. Those are two provincial parks in um, South Frontenac and Central Frontenac um, that uh, are wild spaces. So if we can connect uh, corridors between those two parks, we end up having a very strong way for plants and animals to move around within an area, within a region, um, which is very good for nature, right? It's not static. It's not like you find a bear only here or a fox only here or deer only there. Um, and similarly, plants move around as well and spread their, their spores and recreate in different places. So um, having a focus in that area means we have some potential to really secure uh, a lot of habitat for, um, for the future. And that's one of the philosophies of the Land Conservancy for this area, our land trust, is to set aside places for nature. We're very rich here. We do have those two provincial parks. We have um, a fairly good park system within the city of Kingston. We have uh, legislation, as you referred to, maybe protecting the boundaries of uh, provincially significant wetlands and, and major water systems. So what, what we need to do is protect areas just for nature. We need to make sure that there are places that aren't full of trails and uh, people crisscrossing. Uh, and no offense to the ATV or snowmobile crowd, they're great people. They get out and about uh, in all seasons. If they start going everywhere, they tear up territory. So it's better to have places that are really meant just for natural processes to occur without human interference. And that's really what we're trying to do is set aside land for nature. And you know, I mean, you you highlighted something so important on this 79 acres at Depot Creek. Yes. 802 species, is that what you said? It's over 830. 830, wow. I mean, there's such a, and I think that, that for people maybe who just aren't in the know about that kind of stuff, you know, a few trees in a park maybe can see the same thing as a bunch of trees in a forest. And there's a dramatic difference, you know, how the web weaves itself together in an area that's been left for nature versus when we stick trees amongst basically a monoculture of grass and maybe a few odd bits of clover. Um, I interviewed Diana Beresford Kroger, who is, of course, all about protecting and preserving these natural spaces and really conveyed the importance, not just from, you know, local biodiversity and habitat point of view, but actually how all of these webs weave together in much larger scales. I was so grateful to discover you and what you do at this time because I have been facing um, a personal crisis of sorts, I guess, 
as I become more and more aware of a feeling of great letdown by our governments. Um, and another one again coming through by the Ford government back in July with this Bill 197, um, part of the COVID Economic Recovery Act that's set to streamline, an interesting word that I've gotten to hear a bit more of recently, streamline processes. Um, in other words, take away some of the what are deemed unnecessary barriers to economic and building development. Sorry, Vicky, I know I'm rambling, but I'm going to come to a question here. <laughs> what discovering you and, and what you do, the Land Conservancy, is it gave me a place to put some energy and understanding that there are people out there independent of the government and our elected politicians who are considering these matters and trying to take action on protecting these important spaces. And so what do you think is the role of the citizen in this? I think that's a, obviously a huge question. For me, one of the positives of the pandemic has been the explosion, I would say, of people going outside. So early on in March and April, people started walking. I saw my neighbors walking who I've never seen walk before. There was nowhere to go in your car, so you didn't go in your car. You went on foot to a neighborhood park or just around the block. Uh, I've just come back from hiking in Frontenac Park. I've gone up, I think, three days in the last five, and the parking lot is crowded. If you don't get there early, you might not find a parking space. Uh, huge interest in being outside. Uh, I tried to buy a personal flotation device at Trailhead, our local you know, out, outfitter, and uh, they basically had none left in July before I went on a, a canoe ride up, you know, trip up the Rideau River. So we've really seen an interest and a, and a, um, uh, a passion even, I think, among people to be outside and to appreciate the degree to which nature is restorative. And then going for a walk in the woods makes you feel better. And sitting by the water and looking at the water, uh, just contemplating life from a spot where there's nature around you has has re given people a bit of hope maybe in this more bleak and 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 uh, topsy-turvy time and so for me I see this uh, this opportunity now for people to say this is important to me I now realize why we need parks in the city and why a new subdivision has to have parks and any attempt to sort of say no we're going to take a little bit of that land to put in more housing is a mistake and any sort of scrimping on parkland or places to walk your dog is a mistake so at the very uh, urban level I think we will see people really claiming their public spaces and claiming their nature spaces because we need them and now we understand why we need them at a more general level. Uh, and so I see that too at, in, the, in the sort of more uh, uh, rural spaces that people want to be out and about. It's, a, it's safe to go. You don't have to worry so much about social distance. You're, you're in the whole, of, you can be outside and not worry. And I think these things are going to help uh, 
let's call it the nature first movement <laughs> and you talk about legislation that's maybe going to under undermine the environmental uh, assessment process in a new development or is going to um, maybe say we're going to favor uh, development action over uh, planning and review I'm not sure people are going to have much patience for that. So I think uh, I think there's going to be a sense of yes, it's good to build. Yes, we need more homes. Yes, we need to um, uh, move forward as a society and 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 uh, restore some of the things we've missed. But don't do it at the expense of nature because we can't afford it. Hmm. That's that's a price we don't want to pay anymore. We'll see. Yeah, I, I hope so. I, I agree with you. I think people are definitely um, getting more in touch with the value of getting out into natural spaces on their own personal health and well-being and maybe seeing the value of that just, you know, outside of our own health and well-being, but just the intrinsic value in, in human survival. And I guess what I've become quite aware of is that I've the feeling that I can't rely on that happening just because I'm I and other people are realizing how important it is. How do we communicate that? How do we do we need to get that heard? Is there enough in play enough legislation in place already that that's just what's happening now or do we need to be a bit more vigilant and and get more involved? I'm, I'm sort of astonished a little by your perception as, of government and legislation as being protective of our interests. Um, we need government uh, because we need to regulate how our society works or we wouldn't be able to live together successfully. Uh, I think that's just what, you know, if we're going to live in an urban environment, we need water coming to our taps and sewage being taken away, and we need government in place to make that work efficiently to the common benefit. So there's a there's there's that, but we have an economic philosophy that believes in all growth is good, generally, and that bigger is better. Consumption is what sustains our world. And those philosophies are reflected in how governments have acted in, in the last years. And I think part of what people are talking about now with the green recovery is saying, well, wait a minute, what kind of growth do we want? What kind of um, manufacturing do we want? What kind of society do we want? What do we value as, as a society, as a community that's important to us. And it has always been important for people to speak up. So I think the first thing is for, for us to acknowledge what I was talking about earlier, our, our recent, for some, identification of the importance of nature in our lives. So it's first, I don't want to say labeling it, but I want to say acknowledging it. So acknowledging that being in the woods matters to us, sitting near the water matters to us, knowing that our water is clean matters to us. And I think that acknowledgement, that awareness can translate into uh, an appreciation of what we need to maintain that. And therefore, uh, maybe not being so bamboozled by the GDP type talk. 
like I, I years ago I was at a conference where people were talking about the GDP being a very dangerous way to measure uh, health and we see in New Zealand that uh, the Prime Minister there has been talking about not measuring the gross domestic product but the wellness aspects of society how how are how are we feeling well how do we feel um, justice and fairness and health for all how do we get there and that uh you know making more widgets isn't the way to get there uh and so we need to turn our governments around and say those aren't those aren't our priorities anymore we're not buying that mantra anymore um it's it's something else and that's not to say we have to all uh you know uh, give up things we just have to reorient where we're going um, and and I think you asked about the actions we can take and, and you introduced this as nature needs allies well we need nature we actually the Land Conservancy actually put out a little booklet called we need nature and so if we take that as a kind of concept how do we integrate that into uh, what we do and who we vote for and what we say to each other and how we advocate for what we believe in. Yeah, thank you. I love the way that you put all of that. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think this is why I was so drawn to talk to you um, because I certainly do not have a ton of faith <laughs> in, in letting things rest with, um, whatever decisions, you know, need to be made by, want to be made or driven to be made by our government under those um, existing priorities. The ones that I guess are, we built our kind of society on, um, that any growth is, is good growth. I really like the way that you pointed that out. And so we need nature, absolutely for so many reasons, one of which, because it's just good for us to be in it. How can we then, so I really appreciated your point about ATVs, you know, they're not necessarily bad, but let's have spaces where they are allowed because if ATVs are just allowed anywhere, they're just gonna tear up the landscape. As you said, but even feet tear up the landscape. Even people walking creates pathways. Um, and also invites in invasive species, seeds caught in treads of boots and whatnot. So how can we be aware that through um, participating in outdoor activities, we may, if we're not very conscious, be contributing towards the degradation of those lands? Is there a way that actually we could enter these spaces and add value? I, I do believe, you know, the more that I'm... Um, accessing my longing to understand how um, the Indigenous people of Canada connected to the land, lived with the land, in harmony with the land, serving her, and how they interacted with the land from a place of always trying to add value and not just take but give first spiritually that means a lot to me energetically that means a lot to me and so i'm trying to embrace even just the concept of that as i enter wild spaces but practically are there things that we can do to ensure we're not further degrading these places where we're we're taking our feet and our bicycles well since we're talking about the land conservancy for kingston frontenac and lennox and addington 
uh, I would say the way we're actualizing that is by saying there's some places where people don't belong. There are some pieces of land that we have acquired, we've been given or we've bought, and except for a monitoring trip, which is part of our obligation as a land trust owning land, no one's going there. No one's supposed to go there. Uh, we do have a public use property that we invite people to go to, the Deeple Creek Nature Reserve, but we own uh, or have protected 11 properties and that's one. So it might seem harsh, uh, but as you've identified really, Sarah, every footstep matters and every footstep can bring in an invasive species, it can create a trail, it can cause disturbance in, in an understory we don't really understand, all the ways that um, what's in the earth interacts with each other to, to uh, be a healthy environment for, for the trees and plants and animals that live there. So let's just leave it alone. Let's just have some places that we leave alone. And we know this is a challenging approach because how do you get people to contribute money to a property that they'll never be able to go on? So, or only come on a monitoring trip once a year. And I think that's just part of the mindset that people have to take. So when you go to say Frontenac Provincial Park for a hike, you stay on the trails you pick up your garbage, you don't leave anything behind, the only thing you take with you is photographs. I mean, it's a sort of the, what the, the, the creed or the code of, of uh, hikers. And um, as much as I celebrate all the people getting outside because of the restrictions of not really being able to play inside as we're used to, what we're hearing, for instance, there was a story from Britain that, uh, people are camping wild and used to camp wild you just put your tent up make sure when you left it was just as it was before and they're camping wild and they're they're leaving their cans they're leaving their poop they're leaving their toilet paper it's just making a mess of these spaces that were more natural spaces um, and that's really unfortunate so you know we have to be disciplined with ourselves and, and think about what's valuable to ourselves and also, what's our responsibility to the community and to nature? And that means just leaving some places be. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I like the way that you ended with that. What's our responsibility to our community, to nature, and to future generations, which, I mean... I feel like we hear a lot about and people are kind of often unable, I think, to connect to the concept of future generations. We've become such a driven, but I live in the now and this is my now and my phone tells me this is happening now. And somehow our ability to uh, tune into time is decreasing. <laughs> We're able to think a day, a week, a month, a year, maybe towards our retirement, but a hundred years from now, you know, like our our ancestors were able to do. I don't think so. Maybe not our ancestors, but somebody's ancestors somewhere at one point were able to do that. And so this responsibility piece, and I think about that often when I walk, like the only reason why nature needs allies or nature needs stewards is because we're walking all over it. If we left it alone, it doesn't need us at all. Nature knows exactly how to regenerate. And this idea of stewardship, of actually accepting uh, the role of duty 
as a way of showing our love. Our love for our lives, our love for each other, our love for our children, a joyful way of expressing that. And so are there resources for people that want to engage with the concept of stewardship, with the role of that, with the role of, well, how can I be a better, a better ally? I need nature. The nature that I participate in enjoying needs me to try to be as decent as possible. What does that mean and how can I do that? We think it begins like so many things with ourselves. And as you said, acting with love, acting with respect, acting with care when we are out in nature. I think that there is an opportunity that groups like the Kingston Field Naturalists teach people about nature. I, I am not a biologist or a, a good naturalist. I, I am uh, in awe of the people who can identify those 830 plus species at Depot Creek Nature Reserve. I mean, it's bats, it's grasses, it's sedges, it's trees, it's bushes, it's frogs, it's toads, it's fish. You know, people, there are some real experts who can tell their dragonflies apart and their damselflies apart and their birds apart. And uh, I think when you hang out with people like that, you appreciate so much more about how complex the natural world is. And when you appreciate more about its complexity, you feel even more respect for its magnificence. And so that's a really good starting point for me. If, if, if all you do is recognize the value and the intricacy and the balance in nature, uh, that's a really good start because you're not going to hurt it anymore. You're not going to hurt something that you admire like that. So that's, that's good. That's, and, and so then, you know, the next step of this course, uh, giving money to an organization that is trying to protect nature, um, whether it's regional or national or international, there's all those options. I mean, of course, I always think it's charity begins at home. Well, it may as well protect what's close to you, that what you can appreciate and enjoy. It might sound selfish, but I think it's also keeping it local. Um, and there's participating. So when uh, we created outdoor activities and a passport to nature for people to do sort of expert-led cycle rides in nature or bird watching for beginners or uh, a nature hike or seeing moths at night at Lemoyne Point. I mean, a whole host of activities. Participate in one. You know, support us in how we're trying to um, bridge the gap between maybe the urban world and the natural world because in the urban world we can become quite alienated from nature unfortunately and then you know the next step is volunteering you come and help you might not know how to tell uh, a metal lark from a bobolink but you can take notes of the people who are out saying, oh, I just saw this. And, you know, you're in the note taker, you type it up. So that's a species record for a property. That's something that a lot of people can do that doesn't require you to be really knowledgeable. Sometimes you can come help pick up garbage because, you know, shoreline properties that we own at the end of the lake, the garbage just comes down the lake. So um, come and help pick up garbage unfortunately that's uh, always a possibility and and so there are many ways to get involved thank you I didn't know what how you were going to answer that I thought it was actually kind of a vague question but I love your answer it's so spot on like how how can we how can we care if we don't know what we're caring about 
And so that engaging with the people who are really excited about what they see and who can tell you all the differences and point things out that you might not even have seen, what a beautiful way to engage with the beauty and the wow. And even through picking up litter, it was one of my son's favorite activities when he was a kid. We would participate in all of the and help organize the local events. We had our own litter picker uppers and sometimes that would be his choice for what to do on a Sunday. Go down to the local river and fill up fill up garbage bags with his litter picker upper. It was amazing. Kids really want to engage in um, taking care of the world around them. But I think what um, is important for people to realize is that when we especially in walking in spaces that maybe aren't already protected, leaving litter behind, um, fragmenting the natural spaces with a whole bunch of, of new paths, human activity, whether they're foot trails, whether they're ATV trails, can run the risk of the land not only having its natural value for the creatures that live there degraded, but also its official status degraded. And I mean, a part of development and the challenges maybe that are faced between protecting natural those who are interested in protecting natural spaces and those that are more interested in development is that if a natural spaces official status is downgraded it makes it easier for people interested in development to say hey look this place isn't as good as it once was what's the big deal let's let's build some houses here yeah. Well, it doesn't tick the environmental boxes that it has to tick anymore. Right. And that, that's very true of spaces. I, I actually uh, think development and nature can coexist really well. Um, sometimes, like, because the land the Land Conservancy owns is in a rural area, the rural municipalities are really short of money. They, they don't have the huge tax base, although that's changing with all this development north of the city. And, you know, we see more and more people, especially with COVID, they want to live in the country, they want a permanent house in the country, they're, you know, putting in their dishwashers and their, their appliances and their multi-car garages to live in the country. Um, and so there's sort of this fear that if you set aside a uh, hundred hectares for nature, that's a hundred hectares of lost development rights for the municipality. And what I've always felt is that the people who live near to that protected area and know it will always be protected and it's always going to be a nature space, their property values go right up. So there's a, a harmony that's possible between development and protecting nature that um, just requires articulation. Uh, so we see in new developments, for instance, more cycling paths, more pathways in nature in some of the places. And it's a question of uh, the developers realizing that that increases the value that they can sell their houses for because people do want these nature spaces. They do want a leash-free dog park. They do want a nice uh, park for their children to play in. So, um, you know, people have to speak up and say this is what they want. And then... City councils have to respect that, and there's room for everybody to to coexist in that way. Um, it just takes a different mindset. But labeling me as anti-development as a way to sideline the message of nature matters, and and so people need to call out and be sensitive to um, the kind of 
oh, that's just hippie talk or whatever. Um, and I just sort of throw it out there because I think, I mean, those are how the forces at play work. You and I are ad idem. We, we share a philosophy. But if I were talking, um, if, I, if someone heard our interview, I know there are people that would pick up on that and say, oh, you know, she just wants grass, you know, trees everywhere. She's just a tree hugger, that kind of thing. And I think that that's something that people also have to be alert to. That, you know, it's not only education, loving nature, being aware, of, you know, acknowledging how important it is, but it's also uh, kind of sniffing out those times where um, someone is dissing the approach because it's not, when you talk about GDP, that makes a lot of people happy because they can make a lot of money in the GDP world. If you talk about a, a wellness in, index, well, they're not used to making money in that world. I, I don't know if I'm explaining it very well, which is why I didn't want to talk about it. But I think you know, it always you continue with these interviews about, um, you know, the, the green recovery. Part of the green recovery is stopping, stopping from the disdain for people who are nature lovers. Like there's nothing one should be ashamed of if you're a nature lover, but often that is a way to marginalize people. You're anti-development, you're a nature lover. Completely, completely. And I really like what you shared that actually we have to get better at calling people out when they're doing that, when they're trying to marginalize groups of people because of their love of nature. So you've given, you've given um, tons of guiding posts for people that live in the Kingston area and want to get more involved. For anybody that doesn't live in Kingston, I mean, the one national organization I'm aware of is the Nature Conservancy, um, who've been around a long, long time and do, I think, similar to what you do, but on a, on a national level. Um, are there other organizations in Canada or even indeed globally for people that aren't Canadian that you would be able to to highlight or point us to? I think there are something like 40 land trusts in Ontario, so they tend to be regional. Uh, then there's the Provincial Ontario Heritage Trust that protects both nature spaces, we're working with them on a conservation easement, or uh, cultural heritage spaces like old mills that were working in the 1830s, so cultural properties. And then, as you mentioned, there's the Nature Conservancy of Canada, whose their focus is uh, land that's of national significance. So when we look at what our land conservancy would be interested in, we're probably looking at regionally important pieces of land as opposed to nationally. And the Nature Conservancy of Canada is quite active in this area. Um, it's protecting property. So it's a good partnership because we're very lucky we're going to have protected land that has met national criteria and protected land that's met regional criteria. Um, so there's more protected land, which is, of course, the goal to have enough protected land that natural processes can occur and keep our water clean and keep our air clean, as we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Vicki, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I And I really appreciate what you do. It's totally voluntary, I think, the people, all the people that work for the Land Conservancy. Um, so certainly as president, you must have a fair number of different ways you need to divide your time. And this is um, the second long conversation that you've had with me. Uh, and so I really appreciate your openness and your willingness to 
to share this with people. Um, and I so look forward to getting more involved with the organization. So thank you so much, Vicki. Well, thank you so much for your interest, for your concern, for your love of the land. And uh, I look forward to seeing more of you. So thank you, Sarah. And thank you for listening. Wishing you a beautiful day.